From the West Australian, it's Friday the 22nd of December. I'm Ben O'Shea and this is The West Live. The West Live. The West Live with Ben O'Shea. A tool is only as good as the person wielding it. And I think maybe we don't remember that fact when we think about AI. For many people, generative AI is this amazing content creation tool that responds to almost any query by spitting out stuff that it'd take a human creator much longer to produce. But here's the thing, AI doesn't really create anything. It just reproduces a version of the stuff that's been fed into it, vast libraries of text and images that it's pulled from the internet. But what happens when those inputs are inappropriate. An American internet watchdog found more than a 1,000 images of child sexual abuse material in a massive public data set that was used to train popular AI image-generating models. The presence of these images in the training data may make it easier for AI models to create new and realistic AI-generated images of child abuse or deepfake images of children being exploited. That is, of course, obviously unacceptable, and the fact that it's been going on unnoticed casts significant doubt on the way AI models are trained. There's very little transparency around that and given how influential AI is becoming in our society, are you comfortable with that lack of transparency? Coming up on today's show, we talk to a local about just how close the bushfires came to Lancelin and tell you how to score a Boxing Day bargain. But first, let's round out our countdown of the 23 biggest stories in 2023. Making news. And joining me in the studio is Sunrise correspondent Matt Tinney. And today, Maddie, it's a big one. We're counting down our 23 biggest stories in 2023. And we've got to the pointy end. We're going to do numbers five all the way through to number one. Let's kick it off. Now, Wikipedia in December released its list of the 25 most viewed articles on the English Wikipedia site uh, this year. Now, do you want to know what number one was? Chat GPT. Oh, that uh, so, doesn't surprise me. Which actually. gives you an idea of how artificial intelligence has become so prevalent and dominated uh, discussions in 2023. Collins Dictionary announced AI as its word of the year. Uh, and even though ChatGPT technically was released in November 2022, mm. this was the year where it went mainstream uh, in such a big way. We Did saw, you use it much? Oh, I only used it once when I had yeah. to MC a forum about artificial intelligence. And so I wanted to see what ChatGPT okay. was come up with was it good complete garbage yeah. but it was it was great that was perfect for what i needed yes. because i read it out and i said proof. oh well here we go i don't think ai is going to take my job anytime soon but we saw school systems struggle to deal with the issue of students using it um and then we saw a lot of those same school systems backflip and encourage teachers yeah. to use it to come up with their lesson plans um and in december the boss of sports illustrated was forced to quit over a controversy where the media outlet was publishing articles that were written by ai but they pretended they were written by actual humans. Um, so I think my takeaway with when it comes to AI in 2023 is humans still haven't really figured out how best to use it. Yeah. I mean, I went through a period of just testing it out, like write me like a meal plan with chicken and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, this is interesting that it can do this. 
But am I using it now? No, not yeah. at all. It's a bit of a novelty, right? Well, yeah. probably after it suggested you put death cap mushrooms yeah, in the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Because uh, Well, this is the thing. Like the AI are these, use these large language models that just kind of scrape the internet yeah. um, and then they give you a response based on previous questions and responses. So it doesn't really create anything new. Um, but And then adding to all of the drama around AI, uh, we saw you know OpenAI CEO Sam Altman. He was given the boot by the board mm, this year. Right. Uh, and then he was rehired after about a week. Uh, and then there was all this talk about a new AI that OpenAI had developed that was even more sophisticated than ChatGPT4 uh, and, and what that might mean for humanity. Uh, one thing's for sure, we're definitely going to be talking about AI in 2024 uh, and for the foreseeable future. Some people might see that as a positive. Some might see it as absolutely terrifying, but it is absolutely here to stay. Now, there's no doubt this next story was absolutely huge in Australian politics, in Australian history. I'm talking, of course, of the voice referendum on mm. October 14. Australians went to the polls to vote on whether to change the constitution to recognise the first peoples of Australia by establishing a body called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voice. Uh, it was the first referendum of the 21st century. And this was the question that was put to the Australian people, a proposed law to alter the constitution to recognise the first peoples of Australia Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this proposed alteration? They did not approve. Uh, Australia did not approve that question and the referendum didn't pass. 60% of Australians voted against it. Looking back over it, now the dust has settled. What do you make of the voice uh, Looking back over it, I mean, the campaign... Uh, from the yes side was botched from the start yeah. by the fact that there was a lack of detail that came out from the government and the government kept saying, well, we just get it across the line and then we'll sort out the nitty-gritty. People wanted the nitty-gritty first. I think that was a big failure. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a bit of a win, them getting John Farnham for their ad campaign, but by that stage the damage had been done and then yeah. people were angry at John Farnham for... You know, yeah, even giving his, his song crook, across to the yeah, yeah to the yes campaign. I I wish that we had have just got at the very least recognition in the constitution. You yeah. know, as as a first step. Now in hindsight. And maybe it was a bridge too far for too many people. Yeah, and that was, I think, the what has come out in some of the research post-referendum is that if the, the, the issue had been split, if one issue was just constitutional recognition, mm. that would have passed, um, and then the voice separate to that. Um, and look, Anthony Albanese uh, deserves some of the criticism for it not passing. He made it very political when he, he mentioned it in his victory speech when he was elected Prime Minister. Um, uh, and, you know, it was based on the Uluru Statement from the Heart, uh, um, the interesting thing is regions with a high proportion of Indigenous Australians overwhelmingly voted yes. They wanted it, uh, didn't they? They wanted it. Yeah. Um, so a pretty sad, sad period in Australian history for Indigenous Australians. But, mm. you know, talking to a lot of them, it's the, the overwhelming response was, well, we're used to it. Yeah, you we're used I mean? to we, it. We're well, used to that it. That campaign, if you don't know, vote no. I mean, it's yeah. the most, oh, Nathaniel campaign I've ever heard of. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like it pandered to ignorance, which is not the way we want to be as a country. There was also misinformation spread on social media. Uh, yeah, it was not the proudest moment no. uh, in Australian history, that's for sure. But now we move on in 2024 and we try and do it together. It's all we can really do. 
On October 7, Hamas gunmen launched an unprecedented assault on Israel from the Gaza Strip, killing 1,200 people and taking about 240 hostages. It was an incident that shocked the world. The images of these fighters storming a music festival, uh, grabbing the punters at the festival and dragging them off uh, in the back of Utes back into the Gaza Strip. Uh, it kicked off a visceral response from the Israeli military. They responded with airstrikes in Gaza. Gaza launched a ground offensive. Uh, according to the Hamas-run health authority, uh, 18,600 people have been killed in Gaza as a result of that response. Um, during a temporary truce uh, that lasted seven days, Hamas released 105 hostages. Israel freed 240 Palestinian prisoners. Uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, said that Israel had a clear goal of destroying Hamas's military and governing capabilities. Um, but this has become a con conflict that has really spilled over beyond just the region of the Gaza Strip uh, and impacted global politics, very similar to um, Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, and right around the world and here in Australia, and you see friends, even on social media, some are posting pro-Israeli things, some are posting pro-Palestinian things. And so, you know, this conflict really has travelled thousands of kilometres. Um, it's a blight on humanity, isn't it, this yeah. whole thing? Yeah, it is. I think, you know, the important thing to talk about, take politics out of the equation and just talk about humanity. Yeah. Um, because it, anytime civilians are being uh, targeted either directly or indirectly and losing their lives, I yeah. think it's a tragedy that I think we all should be concerned about. Uh, the UN was concerned. They tried to pass a non-binding resolution um, for a ceasefire, which Australia signed. That was a bit of a surprise and a change uh, in direction a little bit from yeah. the rhetoric then that we had US got. Vetoed it. Um, and the US vetoed. Uh, and so uh, this is set to continue in 2024, sadly, um, and uh, no doubt uh, more innocent civilians will um, pay the ultimate price. Yeah. On May 29, WA was rocked by the shock resignation of Premier Mark McGowan, one of the biggest shocks in WA political history. At the age of 55, the state daddy, yeah. citing exhaustion as the main reason, pulled the pin um, before the next state election, which you'd think he was sure to win. So, you know, he had absolute glory in his sights. Uh, the longest-serving Premier, most elections wins just right there for the taking. Um, but he resigned instead. This job is like no other. After seven elections across nearly three decades, now is the right time to step away from the job that I have loved. Therefore, I'll be resigning as Premier and member for Rockingham. This week will be my final week. It's not a decision I've taken lightly. I've been considering it for quite a while. But the truth is I'm tired, extremely tired. In fact, I'm exhausted. The role of political leadership doesn't stop. It's relentless. It comes with huge responsibility that is all-consuming each and every day. And, and combined with the COVID years, it's taken it out of me. Now, what did you make of that? Uh, I'm still suspicious about this whole thing. <laughs> I'm still suspicious. I just, the way he was saying, like, I'm exhausted, and then next minute he was taking on all these yeah, board minute, roles and consultant <laughs> now, roles. So, so the bloke it just doesn't, it was it doesn't make sense. He was exhausted and he had to chuck it in, even yeah. though he survived COVID, which was much tougher than what he was doing now. Uh, and now he's got four jobs, various board positions with BHP and MinRes. He's took a job with yeah. Joe Hockey. Um, so he's probably working harder than ever. Um, yeah, but just, I mean, and getting paid more. And getting paid more as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like there's there's something there. 
I would love to know, and we may never we know. We may never know. But, but just to know, recap, recap. Smoke this so he was in parliament. He was right. in parliament for 26 and a half years. So it's I a mean, long it's a stint. Long time. Um, he led Labor in opposition and government for 11 and a half of those years. Um, he took the top job in WA in 2017, but it was COVID, of course, that propelled him to unprecedented power. Um, you know, with his hard border yeah. policies and all the rest of it. Uh, when he became the state daddy, people were getting his face tattooed. On on their, their, their body, which was a bit weird. He became a sex symbol. And then, of course, in the 2021 state election, uh, he just dominated. It was the most one-sided election result in Australian history. 53 of 59 seats in yeah. the lower house, establishing him as a political rock star. And remember when he had an approval rating of 91%? Uh, just a bizarre. You look at it now and you think, there's no way a politician could ever get a 91% approval rating. McGowan no. did it. Um, uh, he didn't. He didn't win everybody over. There were a lot of people that probably were a bit over uh, Marky Mark by the end of it. Um, and he kicked off a raft of resignations from other COVID uh, premiers yeah. around the nation. Dan Andrews in Victoria pulled the pin after Mark McGowan, which was also yeah. a Palaszczuk. big shock. Palaszczuk, probably not yeah. as much of a shock. I think people were kind of pushing yeah. her out yeah, the yeah. door. Uh, and it opened the door for Roger Cook to come in, who was kind mm. of like a, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride yeah. kind of situation. Uh, and and we'll see what 2024 holds oh, It's going to be an interesting uh, state election, oh, isn't yeah. it? Yep, the run-up to that uh, yeah. 2025 state election is going to be fascinating. And now it's time for the top story of 2023. And I don't think there can be any doubt about this one. This is something that I'm so proud of us as a nation. And here's Sam Kerr. She's going to need some support. Kerr running at Bright. Kerr with the shot. Uh, it is, of course, the Matildas, Matildas <laughs> mania, which swept the nation during the Women's Soccer World Cup. Do you ever remember seeing anything like that in Australian sport? What, what a moment. What a moment for women's sport. What a moment for sport. Full stop. And just the way kids were so into this. And I'd never seen anything like it where we were following a women's sporting team and, you know, it wasn't because they were women, just because they're such an exciting team to watch, so many great personalities. And, you know, of course, Sam Kerr was always named, but so many of these other players became household names yeah, Mary because Fowler, of that. Ellie yeah. Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, so many of the Matildas now household names. And as you say, it was such a great moment for women in sport, for girls around the nation yep. looking at these superstars and the popularity and attention they were getting and thinking, that could be me. Yeah, and then when they came to Perth for the Olympic qualifier, they had to move, you know, yeah, they had game to move from Adelaide to, to Optus Stadium. stadium. 60,000 people. I, mean, how... I was there. Sam Kerr scored a hat-trick. Yeah, I, I, just such an amazing story, and I hope they go on to even more success. Yeah, and the, and the Women's World Cup, I think, will have to go down, uh, it's certainly as the greatest Women's World Cup in FIFA mm. history. Uh, I think it was an absolute high watermark for Australian sport. Um, full stadiums, incredible games, yeah. even though Australia did make the finals we made it to the semis which was an yep. awesome result um we we probably did uh, as good as we could have possibly expected to um the 
final tarnished a little bit about uh, <laughs> by that uh, Spanish uh, you know football boss mm. uh, Louis Rubiales yeah. and, uh, and that unwanted holding kiss. herself hostage oh, in the yeah, church yeah. on Hermoso. Yeah. That was that was a bit of a dud yeah. end. But uh, we will remember the Matildas and long may they reign. I really feel that they are now the top brand in Australian yeah. sport, uh, which they is can do no just wrong. wonderful. They can do no wrong. Mm. Uh, we just love them. The Matildas, you are our number one story for 2023. They probably achieve some other things in 2023, but <laughs> the number one news story for the West Live. Uh, there you go. Well deserved indeed. You're listening to the West Live. At least two homes have been completely destroyed in a catastrophic bushfire in Parkerville, one of five emergency-level blazes that have been threatening lives and homes in two days of chaos for firefighters. Earlier this week, residents in Lancelin were told to flee to the ocean as fires raced towards the town. And now, the last time we spoke to our next guest, he was about to take pics at the inaugural Las Vegas F1 Grand Prix. Now he's back at his home in Lancelin with an update on what this week has been like for locals. I'm talking of course of F1 photographer and founder of Messages on Hold, Kim Illman. Kim, welcome back to the West Live. Good to be back here, Ben. And so tell me, how close did the bushfires come to Lancelin? Uh, well, it was probably 350 metres from a house. Uh, the houses on Castley Way were the ones that were probably in the path of the fires. But, um, but luckily it, uh, it didn't get that far and Petered out with some um, help of about a hundred odd people from uh, both local volunteers and um, I guess career firefighters who were brought in to save the town. Yeah, heroes, no doubt about that. Now, I saw your post on Facebook. You and your wife were heading up to Lancelin from Perth. Can you tell me what you were thinking in that moment when you could see the fires on the horizon and you knew that uh, they were getting close to your home? Well, I think we only realised this as we set off from Perth that there was a, a fire in town. And then we did a bit of research as we were driving up. And um, when we finally got here, the road was closed, which is Lancelin Road, into town. So we had to sit out on Indian Ocean Drive. And by the way, there were no cars really either coming either way. It was really dead on the road. Obviously, word had got out. And as it started to um, get a bit darker at about dusk, I went up onto a hill I took some photos of my iPhone from about three kilometres away. It was, I put that up on the land from a Facebook page. And it, was a, it was a fair blaze. It was roaring and um, lots of orange, lots of um, flames visible with the naked eye, not so good on the camera shot. Uh, and at that point, I realised, right, well, this, this is quite a sizeable fire. Mm. And so is it something that you worry about from year to year as we go into the bushfire season? I don't, no, because... <laughs> For my house to get done, it would have to have um, got everybody else's. So the chances of that are pretty slim. But certainly those homes on Castley Way, which are right opposite a whole lot of bushland, they are the first, uh, I guess, in the firing line. So I guess if you had a home out there, it would be on your mind. And there's a lot of very dense bush on the other side of that road. So there's plenty of fodder for it. And luckily, um, they had some... Uh, water bombers here, which helped out, although somebody had a drone up, which meant that they couldn't use uh, the planes for a certain period of time. But as it worked, turned out, um, I, I guess we're just pretty lucky that those guys knew what they were doing. Yeah, lucky escape indeed for the people of Lancelin. And we send our best wishes to everybody else around WA who are dealing with bushfires uh, in the weeks to come and certainly over summer where it's looking like a pretty grim bushfire scenario indeed. Uh, Kim Illman, F1 photographer and founder of Messages on Hold, thanks for joining us and sharing this update on The West Live. Pleasure, Ben.
Have you finished all your Chrissy shopping yet? Well, I sure hope so, because I bet the shops will be absolute madness over the weekend. But here's a thought. What if you spared yourself the hassle and just gave that loved one some money instead? Then they could spend it and get more bang for their buck in the traditional Boxing Day sales. Maybe you could pick up a bargain too. Here to help you do just that is e-commerce expert Tushar Kapadia. Tushar, welcome to The West Live. Thank you. And so what have we seen in recent years when it comes to our spending habits in Boxing Day sales? Yeah, we see um, Australian shoppers actually focus their efforts um, a lot on Boxing Day. They're really more strategic about how they shop. Um, And we saw, um, though we're expecting that literally $4.6 billion of sales will be conducted over the Boxing Day sale period. Yeah, wow, that's that's a pretty big number. And we just yeah. saw how many people uh, spent big on the Black Friday sales um, last month. Is Boxing Day becoming uh, bigger in terms of online retail as well? Look, Black Friday still trumps um, Boxing Day. Uh, this year, these sales were just under $9 billion, which is for Black Friday, which is up 22% on last year. So Black Friday is still the strongest part of the year from a sales perspective but Boxing Day follows soon um, behind that and um, we find that you know we're expecting very strong sales and you know we're seeing a lot of retailers that didn't do as well as they would have liked over the Boxing Day sales so they'll be sharpening their pencils a little bit more yeah, over well, this period to well, I like pick that. up some of that dollar. Oh and so how can consumers um, pick up a bargain? What You got any good strategies for us? shop around people offering different discounts if you know what you want do a bit of shopping see what discounts are being offered and um you know take advantage of those deals um there are a number of different other strategies that online shoppers can use they often retailers often ask you to sign up for newsletters and as part of that uh, they'll offer you a discount so that could be an opportunity if you don't mind getting a few emails from them to score a bit of a discount and there's also another technique that some shoppers use which is an an abandoned cart technique which retailers pick up on which you know you put something in your shopping cart then move away from the website immediately you'll get a, a notification to say hey you've left something behind we'll sweeten the deal with an extra discount and off you go Oh, actually, that's a pretty good tip. I'm going to test that one out. Uh, and so, uh, and that one fourth more thing before we let you go, uh, there's always the issue of uh, cybersecurity when you're shopping online. And we saw uh, with the Black Friday sales, uh, there were scammers out in force. Do you expect that that'll be the case uh, with the Boxing Day sales online? And how can people protect themselves? Look, I think you need to be wary of scammers all year round, particularly around these big sales periods, because, you know, scammers also know that people are looking to spend money so really just be mindful of where you're shopping stick to credible retail stores online stores and if you're looking at some of the more boutique online sellers just just make sure that you know there's you know there's no obvious mistakes like spelling mistakes or funny funny links that you're clicking to or urls and the other thing to be mindful of is the payment methods that are on offer. So sometimes there'll be some really weird payment methods on offer for products. So just be mindful of those. And if people aren't using normal, secure, traditional payment methods like Visa, MasterCard, et cetera, then you might want to be mindful of anything before you take the plunge. 
Yeah, shop smart, not hard. Sounds pretty good to me. Uh, and I'll be using some of these tips uh, when I do my Boxing Day bargain hunting. Dushar Kapadia, no. e-commerce expert. Thanks for joining us on The West Live. Uh, thank you for having me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. A martini, shaken, not stirred. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Two scoops, sir? Two, make it three. I'm not driving. Yes, we've made it to the last segment of the year and what a way to go out in the West Live than with our regular Friday foodie, the West Australian's chief features writer and food critic, Simon Collins. Welcome back to the show. G'day, Ben, and what an, what an honour. Yeah, indeed. Well, mate, it's like it's like the figurative toast to celebrate the end of the year and so it's appropriate that we've got you. And now you've just come back from Busso. Yeah, I was just down there checking out uh, the Parker Group's next... Um, Big opening, the Bustleton Pavilion, which um, looks pretty good. It was uh, it was far from operational when I saw, but it should be ready by about January 10. But it's got a, a southwest wine shop, um, a lovely big island bar, a restaurant in there, which is headed up by uh, the group's executive chef, um, Brendan Pratt, who's a big name, ex-Bass ex Felix. Um, and it's going to eventually have a um, have a distillery in there as well. So it's uh, it's all things to all people in Bustleton. Yeah, wow. And this is the same mob that are behind the Royal Hotel in the city, um, the, the Standard in Northbridge, uh, and um, uh, Dandelion at Caranum. And so, what, right. what is the vibe going to be? Relaxed. Oh, I think yeah. it's nice and bright. The food offering is going to be good. There's going to be the I like the wine shops because it, it's funny. Down south, you're surrounded by great wines, but when you get back to a, a, like a, a, a population hub like, like actual Margaret River Town or or Buston, and there's nowhere really to, to buy the wine if you haven't brought it back from the cellar doors. <laughs> you're um, a bit like a BWS, and it's like, hang on a minute, where's yeah, all the wines from the southwest? Yeah, yeah I'll get a, get a, I'll get a, a case of Great Northern, um, <laughs> or not. Um, but um, yeah, this, the shop's going to have things like anchovy donuts to, to mm. sort of something salty to go with the local wines and there's um he's got a um brendan pratt's got a, a imported french rotisserie uh in his kitchen which will be great for doing um whole squids and uh, and chook um he's talking about when the weather cools down doing a sunday sunday roast and maybe even getting some uh, some bachelor handbags to go yeah, Emmanuel Macron put himself on a French rotisserie, uh, backing uh, Gerard Depardieu in the news overnight. Uh, I don't, oh, really? I'm not sure if it's the same thing. Uh, but and so, uh, whereabouts in Busso is it located? Right, right on the main drag, um, just off Queen Street. There, it's, uh, it's in the Bustleton Central um, Shopping Centre, or kind of outside it. Um, and there's also a new Middle Eastern restaurant there called Inara, which is which is pretty nifty. Mm. Uh, then across the road, you've got like Albertas and Burger Bones, and there's a there's a French crappery there. Um, and then, of course, you head down towards the um, the jetty, and there's um, you know there's the Rocky Ridge Tap Room, there's the Shelter Brewing, there's a Hilton Hotel uh, that they're um, hell bent to get open before the, before New Year's Eve. Um, uh, there's rumours of another hotel going in there. There's a performing arts centre. Uh, direct flights from Melbourne, direct flights from Sydney in March, I think, and rumours of direct flights from um, probably probably from Changi, you know, in Singapore. Um, so Bustleton is really becoming the gateway to the southwest. So yeah. it's, 
it's quite happening down there. Yeah, fantastic. Because it has historically probably lagged a little bit behind Margaret River and Dunsborough in terms of, you know, sort of that cachet. Uh, it's been a mm. bit daggy, but certainly with those venues that you're mentioning, you know, I think that's really turning around um, and it makes a lot of sense. I like Bussa. I've got a soft spot in my heart for it. And, yeah, and, uh, I mean, I, yeah. and, and uh, you I've promised... Yeah. <laughs> yes, Simon. Now you've promised you promised us last week that you were going to give us your uh, top five new openings of the year in 2023. How do you want to do it? Do you want to go five to one? Oh, I don't know. Or do you want no particular, order, no particular order. order. Okay, we, we can do order. Oh, well, where do you want to start? Well, I've kind of yeah. I just I just kind of wrote down a list of everything that opened. Well, everything I could think of that opened this year. And I'm still going when you called. <laughs> uh, it's, it's in the 20s. It's been a, it's been a bumper year for, wow. for, for new venues. But let's start with, um, oh, look, I'll mention a couple that aren't in my top five, but are great. I mean, obviously, the Claremont, we kicked off the year with the Claremont opening uh, or reopening. And um, another, uh, and then some real whiz kids, well, beer whiz kids. They're not kids, but they're great craft beer guys. Opened uh, the Found Lab out in Byford. Um, but I, I, one of the ones that was much anticipated and um, a big part of Subiaco's renaissance is Subiaco Continental, kind of a high-end tavern bistro, mm. um, which, which, which impressed me when I went there. Really kind of, you know, good for a long lunch or just, a, you know, a quick workday burger and a, and a sneaky beer. Um, so that's one of them. And, and then I'll jump to the, for number four, I'll jump to the, the end of the year, and a couple of nights ago, I just went and checked out the opening of the station in South Perth. Oh, yeah, the new one in South before. Perth that we spoke about last that week. Looked, that was really good, but the real wow factor there is downstairs in the French restaurant. Now, the owners don't call it French, but the, the chef's French, the food's French, and uh, and the stairs were, were lit up in blue, white, and red when I was there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm calling it French, and I'm sticking to that. But that looks great. Yet to eat there, but I've sampled the food, and I'm just going to back that one in because it looks, looks fantastic. And then um, number three, Vin, Vin, Vin Popoli in Frio, which took over the old Roma Cucina that had been there for like, oh, well, since 1954, I think, a family-run institution in Fremantle where everyone from uh, Bob Hawke and David Bowie had dined there. And so there's a fair bit of pressure on um, Emma, Emma Ferguson and Dan Morris, the couple that took it over and are best known for, for probably no, no mafia in Northbridge, um, which is actually my review um, tomorrow in the West. Uh, and yeah, Vin Popoli is a fantastic Italian restaurant. Great vibe, a lovely, lovely fit out. Just don't go out the back; they haven't quite got that finished yet. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that one's um, yeah, parcel lovers have been flocking to that one. And then um, number two, I'm going to go uh, Bertie in Bassendine. Have you checked that out yet? No, still haven't. But it gets, it gets so much buzz, especially amongst the locals. Yeah, I went out there and super impressed. Simple food. I mean, we knew the cocktail was going to be good because James Conley's behind it, and he's been behind uh, behind bars in a, in a non-bikey sense for a long time. <laughs> um, and um, you know, great cocktail maker and shaker. Um, but his food is, is at this place. I mean, he's not in he's not in the kitchen, but the kitchen team are putting out some great some great food. Very very simple. And the wine list is is banging. And if you know, if you don't know what you want, just just chat to the staff. They know, you know, what they don't what they don't know about wine isn't worth knowing. Um, but my favourite, uh, my favourite opening of this year is um, Edward Nider's in, uh, in in Northbridge, um, and not not only because it's quite close to where I live, but um, it kind of nailed the vibe of a of an old school pub, but with modern service. It's, it's, it's 
what a fantastic venue and it's full of beer um, paraphernalia um, Blaze Young's in the kitchen making great stuff it's from the same team as behind Foxtrot Unicorn in the city and, and New Ruin in Fremantle which are also, also great venues and they just sort of nail that kind of those those things are hard to put your finger on about what makes a place great. I guess it's you know good good service, great drinks, good food, good fun. The food's retro. It's like Scotch eggs and Bertie also does Scotch eggs, so it's kind of the year of the year of the Scotch egg. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, Blaze also at um, Edward Knight also does like prawn cocktails and uh, yeah and, and schnitties and all sorts of retro pub food and just sort of elevates them. And pies. She's great with pies. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, well, there's your top five, everybody listening along at home. Yes, Subi <laughs> Continental, The Station, Vin Popoli and Frito, uh, Birdie and Edward and Ida at number one. And you want to know something, Simo? I haven't been to any of them, so I feel very, le- <laughs> I feel very left well, there's, out. There's so many. I mean, I could have gone, like, you know, there's Ligon Lane, Six Air, Lantern, Backo, Yermas, Stamper at Printor, which reopened, Arara, Palette, El Lupo, Barvino, Lungs Wine Bar, uh, Beaconsfield Wine Bar, Lima Cantina, they just keep coming. And obviously, we've already spoken about Boston and Pavilion, which which sort of kicks the openings off for next year. And there's, you know, they're going to just keep coming at us. All these all these new 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 venues. It's um quite phenomenal. Yeah, fantastic. We'll raise a glass to that, and also to some yeah. of the businesses that that didn't make it through 2023. It's a tough industry, lots of change as yeah. always. Uh, and we're lucky yeah. to have you to keep us up to date on all those changes. Chief features writer and food critic at the West Australian, Simon Collins. You and the family have a great Chrissy and a safe New Year. And uh, too, we'll, we'll talk to you again next year. Yeah, look, looking forward to it. And we'll be back in 2024. And don't forget to subscribe to The West Live wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to The West Live with Ben O'Shea. If the story behind the story matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver.